All right, and welcome back to Social Biology. I'm your co-host, Jeremy. And I am Morgan. Here we are once again, ready to get my mind blown. Again, you're building expectations. (laughs) (laughs) This should not be built. I disagree. Well, what do you mean? No, I, I've i got high expectations. I look forward to doing this every week. I, I get a lot out of this, man. This is fun. No, and I enjoy it as well. That's why, you know, I don't do anything I don't enjoy. So there you go. Uh-huh. Um, so what I, what I kind of wanted to, to talk about today is cancer. Cancer, the great thing everyone loves. Um, Before, I just want to say, Morgan, I don't know if you have anyone in your family that has cancer. I don't want to be, you know, inappropriate or impolite. Uh, no, not not currently. My grandmother, uh, she beat breast cancer uh, about 10, 15 years ago. I was probably 5 or 10 at the time. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, about 15 years ago. I think I was eight, 9 or 10 years old, and she she beat it. It, w- it was scary. It was hard to, to, to see what was happening. She lost her hair, um, went through chemo. It, it took a few years. Um, I remember some of the surgeries and my grandpa had to take care of some of the, you know, the aftermath of surgeries, changing bandages. And she would like show us scars and it was just like horrific. And I, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible that we have technology to help in getting rid of that, but it, it, it is very traumatic. And, um, I haven't experienced it very much in my life with anybody close to me other than my grandmother who, who beat breast cancer. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, a fairly common response. Someone older generally has cancer, but not mm-hmm. always. Yeah, like cancer has this, it has this unique place in our in our society and our thoughts. Um, because when someone gets sick, it's often like, oh yeah, like we can, we can cure it, we can treat it. Even if it's something like diabetes, which doesn't really have a cure, like you can do a lot of things that help your diabetes uh, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but cancer, it kind of falls in the same place as like HIV and other things where it almost seems like a death sentence. You're like, well, you have cancer. There's a thing you have and it'll, it mm-hmm. will most likely kill you. You know, in, in our minds, that's kind of when I hear this one has cancer, I'm like, oh, no, that's really bad. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine something much scarier being told to me. Like if somebody told me that I had cancer, I, I, I can't imagine much that would like shock me more. That would be scarier. I mean, well, I'm, I'm glad you think that because there are definitely worse things that could happen. And so <laughs> cancer is the worst. Yeah, thing. There, there are. But maybe maybe it's because that's such a common thing. Yes, that yes. You hear about it more. I mean, like I, I could probably think of worse things like getting decapitated or, you know, but like that doesn't happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shout out to all the decapitation fans out there. We're sorry. <laughs> we, we see you and we respect you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but no, no, I get I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, and so I, I this is one some of the basic fundamentals of cancer. I mean, people mostly are aware, but again, you never know. Never underestimate the ignorance of the public, Morgan. That's a that's a Jeremy quote uh-huh. you can you can count on. Yeah. So cancer <laughs> will do. So and, and and again, most of these are generalizations. That's something that I learned pretty early on studying any kind of STEM subject is that it's very hard to make any form of blanket statement because there's always exceptions. Like there's always exceptions. Uh-huh. So when I say like, oh, not not even just outliers, but actual exceptions that are common. Yes, right? literal exceptions that yeah. are, well common for outliers, yeah. right? Like they're more mm-hmm. you know like five percent, which yeah. is still you know fairly. It, it's not like it's an anomaly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's yeah. Uh-huh. So in general, like all cancer is something that comes from within you. It is a mm-hmm. 
it is basically a collection of cells in your body that have gone through a set of mutations, almost like a perfect storm that allows them to avoid destruction, mutate, grow exponentially, and take up resources that your body wants to use for other things. Uh-huh. And all, every day, every single day, there's tons of cells in a, in, a, in a healthy individual's body that becomes cancerous. It just happens to have these mutations. Normally, when cells get have damaged their DNA, which is what we call mutation, they die. Uh, the mm-hmm. cell can't function. It doesn't know what it's doing. And there's a ton of built-in mechanisms that either kills. They, they actually go through a process called apoptosis, which means that they go through cell death. They, they self-destruct. Or the immune uh-huh. system recognizes, hey, this guy's not really doing well. Let me just poke him and kill him. Um, but cancer cells are things where the mutations are kind of this perfect little incident where it, it happens to turn those mechanisms off. The, the cancellation mechanisms. And it also avoids detection by the immune system, which is why cancer is pretty uncommon when, when we're young. Uh, because both of those mechanisms combined, they deal with almost every single instance. It's really rare that you have a mutation uh-huh. in those two places. Um, and so it's able to also grow. They have mutations in them that allow them to kind of grow exponentially because also cells have a lot of signals in them that prevents them from growing out of control. Like you have your skin. Uh, when you have a cut in your skin, your skin grows to heal it, but it knows when to stop. It doesn't just keep growing. Uh-huh. Again, usually. Sometimes, I, I wouldn't look it up, but sometimes there's weird skin growth that people get when they have. Yeah, you're making me hurt all over already. There's actually really cool treatments for that. There's a lot of treatments where if people go through uh, degloving, have you ever heard of degloving? That sounds super familiar. I'm guessing it involves removing layers of skin. Yeah, it generally affects your hands or fingers specifically. It happens especially if you have a, a wedding ring. Wedding rings, if they get caught in something, uh, they can kind of just slurp the skin just right off your finger. Oh, uh, oh, thank yeah, you. Big, you know, thank yeah. you for that image. <laughs> I got to take my ring off. Oh, my God. Actually, I, I definitely, my brother has a ceramic ring and he would never get a, a metal one because that's actually pretty cut. Jimmy Fallon almost lost his finger to a degloving incident, if you're not aware. Oh, really? Uh-huh. No, I didn't hear about that. Like 90% of the time I have a rubber ring that I use. But I, I, honestly, I don't wear my ring very often. It, it makes me uncomfortable. And now that you're telling me this, I'm probably never going to yeah, wear no, it again. I, it's a horrible thing. I wouldn't. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, so, so what happens is you get the glove, like all the skin comes off. And you can kind of try to put back that skin like, like a glove. It's, it could be contaminated. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it would be possible. That's oh, oh it, it will definitely. Uh, if as long as you connect the blood blood vessels, it'll it'll survive. It'll work. Uh-huh. Uh, but generally, like wow, it gets that's it, it gets lost in the ground or gets stepped on or something, and so people are like, Ugh, I don't want to use it. So what they do is that they Ew, they gross. make a little incision, usually in your torso, like your belly, and they just kind of shove your injured finger in there, and the skin in your stomach will recognize like, oh yeah, there's a there's an injury here, so it'll actually grow over what? your finger. And then you can just kind of pull it and cut it and restitch it. And you have skin, like your own skin, back into your finger. It won't have a fingernail, of course, but you'll have skin there. Uh, okay, wait, wait. I I want to make sure I didn't misunderstand. They they make an incision and they insert your finger into like your stomach or your side or wherever there's skin. Yes. And then the body recognizes it and grows it uh-huh. back. So it doesn't recognize that it's finger. It just recognizes there are very specific skin, yeah, very specific uh-huh. skin, uh, skin cell signals that recognize when there's a cut. So when it when it starts to go grow back, is the finger removed, or how long does this process oh, so it, take? The finger stick stays in there for weeks. It'll stay in there until the the skin is completely grown over it. Um, 
so people have these surgeries and they've just got their arm like braced to their stomach and with their finger. Uh, yeah, you can look this up. Um, yeah, I'll probably I'll look it up right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I will not be looking this up. I just wanted to make sure I understood clear. Um, okay, well, I, see, my mind is blown right now. See, I, I get excited for these things. I did not know this. Yeah, I mean, it's not super common, but yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, and wow. so, yeah, yeah, so your skin, that's why, again, going back to cancer, skin cancer is a big problem because your skin has these signals that really want them to grow. As soon as there's an injury, your body's like, hey, this is an emergency. Skin is our number one protection from infection. It allows moisture to stay in. We need skin to grow immediately. Uh, uh-huh. So, which is why when you get a cut or something, your body reacts really well to it. And even if it doesn't, scar tissue happens because your body just says, you know, I can't deal with this. I need to need to throw some tissue up there to block. Uh, w- yeah, fortify, fortify it, it quick. No matter how ugly it looks, uh-huh. boom, there it is, scar. Yeah. We don't care anymore. Yeah. So, but it also, again, it has signals to stop. It knows that when once it closes that gap, it needs to stop. And so when there's mutations in cells, particularly skin cells, but pretty much any cell, it could affect that mechanism. It could have just, maybe it'll destroy the, the cell's ability to recognize when to stop growing. And so it'll just think, oh, I just need to keep growing because I haven't seen the signal to stop because cells are little machines. They're huh. not, they don't think, they don't have brains, they don't have eyes, they can't see. So all they can do is uh-huh. react to their environment. Is just keep going, just keep yeah. Going. Um, and sometimes you get a benign tumor, a tumor that doesn't really do anything. For Luckily, it, it stopped growing. It doesn't harm you. They still want to remove it because benign tumors can still become cancerous, uh, but uh-huh. those are less. But it's just basically a growth. It's just basically a growth that has stopped uh, pretty much. And the reason why cancer is a thing that I wouldn't say there's a lot of controversy, but I, I hear all the time as someone who loves science and healthcare, especially and things like that, is the question why there is no cure for cancer. Right? That's a very mm-hmm. common and the very a very another very common response is like, oh well, pharmaceutical companies they don't want to develop a cure for cancer because if you cure cancer, you remove a patient and they get less money. You know. I was gonna say I've heard. Uh, conspiracy theories maybe not that drastic but i have you know multiple different opinions on the subject that's blatantly untrue <laughs> i mean i'm not saying <laughs> i love pharmaceutical companies i don't think that they're benevolent beings um but in that same kind of mindset then we wouldn't have antibiotics right we wouldn't have vaccines because those things yeah. literally prevent and cure diseases and don't create patients and, and i feel like that would be a conspiracy so big that every pharmaceutical company is attempting to prevent the cure of cancer like why wouldn't private organizations be able to develop it like i don't i don't know it seems too grandiose to me to be able to cover this up and not like not not cover it up now now my mind's going into like conspiracy theories but um but like to prevent it from happening yeah. when you know how many different organizations are out there working towards that goal yeah for sure um and people who research cancer they definitely die of cancer like and their families do like it's definitely a thing uh one of my favorite ways to de- debunk a quote-unquote conspiracy theory is to think there's a, there are a lot of ones. Like one is what you said. Hey, are there a ton of people involved? Because if there's a ton of people, uh-huh. the truth's going to get out. Right? People are not reliable. Yeah. at keeping a secret. 
Another one is, do rich and powerful people succumb to this? Like Steve Jobs. Yes. Yes, they do. If there was a secret cure to keep the elite uh, healthy, they, they definitely would have given it to him, right? They would be <laughs> they would be healthy. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but, and, but the truth is that the treatments for cancer have come an enormous way from where they were even like 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, people who have, are diagnosed with cancer today are more likely to live a lot longer and if they got the same diagnosis let's say 20 years ago they would have been dead within three or four years oh really that drastically it's it's a lot that that different it's it's a lot Mm -hmm. different and i feel like people don't really recognize that people don't realize that treatments have definitely advanced a lot okay so kind of an off topic well on topic but like different line of thought because i'm curious is is there um a distinction because you know there's x amount of cancers out there there's uh, leukemia, there's uh, bone, intestinal, prostate, you know, all, all these different kinds of cancers. D- does it all kind of originate in a similar way? Does it all originate from soft tissue? Is it kind of, um, is there a pattern to it? Uh, uh, yeah, that's another thing. Yes and no, it's both. So basically, the cancers we usually identify is location. Like they, would they say we have, he has colon cancer, bone cancer. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's things like leukemia, which technically doesn't have a distinct location, your bone marrow. But uh-huh. it, and that's what makes it difficult, is every cancer is unique. There are there are uh-huh. trends and patterns. Uh, we know that, oh, these types of cancers generally react well to these kind of treatments. Um, but Okay, also- so that, that was kind of leading into my, my question of as these developments have improved, um, is, is it kind of a blanket help across all different types of cancers, or is it kind of more area specific and your i don't know it kind of the level of development changes based on what you have uh it is most of these treatments have been area specific um but there are Uh also general practices that have helped the entire spectrum of of cancer patients okay so but in almost every type of cancer we've we've achieved great strides Uh, like for bone cancer for example there are treatments, whereas before, bone cancer is really difficult because bones are not known to being receptive to medicines. Um, uh-huh. There's a reason why gangrene was such a big deal during the Civil War. Is like you got a bone injury, we got to chop yeah. the leg off because that bone is just done. It's not going to yeah, heal. Exactly. Infection. It, it, yeah, it's gone. But we have developed new treatments that can allow things like chemotherapy and even like radiation therapy to have a a greater effect on people so it it is uneven like some cancers have definitely seen a vast improvement versus others who have like brain cancer has not seen a a great neither has pancreatic cancer pancreatic cancer actually is Mm -hmm. the deadliest form of cancer i don't know if you knew that Oh really? I did not know that. And I was going to ask about organs and the difference. Yeah, you think you think that brain cancer or like heart cancer would be the thing, but no, pancreatic cancer. Well, how 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 common is pancreatic con- cancer compared to say skin cancer? Or I, I I guess what 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 are among the most common types? Lung cancer, even like gastrointestinal cancer, colon cancer, stomach cancer. Those are more a, a little more common because again, they have anything that interacts with the outside world the most has the most chance of developing mm-hmm. it. Pancreatic cancer, okay. luckily, Makes isn't sense. super common, um, but it's it's uh-huh. not the least common either. Uh, but the last time I checked, which again, I'm not I'm not a doctor, but uh, pancreatic cancer had like a ninety <laughs> to ninety five percent fatality rate within the first three or five years. That's incredibly high, yeah. uh, and that's what I, I don't know if you heard me. But that's what Steve Jobs had. He had pancreatic cancer. Yeah, yeah, and I I didn't know that. I didn't know it was pancreatic cancer. 
Um, I knew he died of cancer, but I did not know it was pancreatic. Um, well, that's crazy. So you were saying then um, it's not some big like pharmaceutical companies don't want to cure. Uh, it, there's other issues at play that prevent further strides. Oh, yeah. the, the main issue is that cancer cells are human cells. They are you. And anything we can get to kill them, 99% of the time is going to kill you as well. I was going to say, because chemotherapy and radiation, that can often have very negative effects. Exactly. And, and that's for a reason. It has effects on fast-growing cells. That's why you lose your hair. That's why they get really nauseous is because the cells that divide really quickly, they're the ones that are most affected, which cancer cells are the ones that divide super quickly. Um, so yeah, chemotherapy and radiation, they are literally also damaging you. Um, the trick is to trying to damage the cancer a lot more than they are you overall. Than damage you. Mm-hmm. So And that's why there's such a hard process to this because with antibiotics uh, which target bacteria cells bacteria cells are very different from eukaryotic cells or animal and plant cells that's what we are eukaryote and so you can take there's almost no way you can overdose on antibiotics again physically you can right you can dehydrate or whatever Uh but you can literally take a bottle and no one should because there are other side effects yeah don't do that anybody listen a whole bottle of anything (laughs) in theory we are not endorsing it (laughs) In theory, you could and you should be fine because antibiotics, they target prokaryotic cells. They target bacteria and that's easy. We can, And that's why doctors also are super willing to prescribe them. Like, here you go, take it. It's not going to hurt you, most likely. Um, whereas if we, again, cancer cells are human cells. So we're trying to find the minute differences in cancer cells that make them better targets for treatment than your own cells. And that is what is extremely difficult because again, every cancer is different, right? And so that's why they have to take a biopsy. They have to take a little piece of it and and study and run its DNA and, and see how it's different from you. And then that's when they have to make the decision what's the best line of treatment for that. That's super interesting. And then from that point, um, well, God, that just opened up a million questions because that, that's kind of the field in which you work, right? You take those biopsies and analyze them or remind me what okay, you do. Okay, so I work for a... Basically, it's a, it's a genetic uh, sequencing company. What we do, and th- that deals uh-huh. with cancer. So we do is we get blood and tissue and saliva samples. And what we do is we test people's genes to make sure that if how big the risk of certain cancers are. Uh, oh, okay. So they, they probably don't have cancer. Some of them do. Um, but at that point, it's not really our tests aren't super useful, except to determine what kind of cancer uh-huh. they might have. But yeah, we have someone, even they're 20 or 25 or however old they want to be, they, we get their test and say, hey, because we know that there are, they're called proto-oncogenes, which means they are genes that are just ready to become cancerous if they get a mutation in them. And a lot of people have them. And so we're like, hey, you have this proto-oncogene within you. It doesn't mean you have cancer right now, but you should get checked every year because you have a very high chance of getting a mutation here and boom, you're probably going to get cancer. So that's what we do. We don't do cancer tests. We just do cancer gene tests okay um so what once the test is complete though and they determine what type of cancer it is how how many different options are there at that point for procedures and measures that they take uh, preventive measures um so there's no real easy way to prevent cancer the most things that people can say like is avoid uv direct uv exposure, like put sunscreen, sunblock. If it's skin cancer, even if it's not, it's still a good idea to do that. Um, but generally, it's just looking. If Let's say one of the, the, the most common one we have is people screening for breast cancer. 
And if someone comes up with it, so what we do is we, we talk directly to the, the medical provider. So we're not really in contact with the patient themselves. With the patient. Uh-huh. But if the once the physician sees, hey, you got this test back that says you have this, this gene, what they'll do is they'll just schedule regular screenings so they can catch it early. There's no real way to prevent uh, breast cancer. There are some lifestyle changes you could make, but you know, in reality, all they do is they keep like every six months or every year, like, hey, we're going to check up on you. Hey, and if we you spot a lump, so just knowing that you have a higher risk increases your chance of survival because it increases the chance that you'll find it early. Okay, so that was another thing. Um, how I, I I guess I've never thought to get tested. I mean, is this something that people should be doing regularly? Like, what what do you think um, would be recommended? I feel like if you have a family history of cancer, you should try to find. Of course, be really well aware of what type of cancer it was. Um, and even then, like I say, you had someone who had breast cancer. You should still be aware because one, men could still get breast cancer it's unlikely but yeah i've heard that it's like 30 percent of breast cancer patients are men is that roughly accurate or am i too sure exactly how much it is that seems a little high to me but uh it's not common uh but i could be wrong maybe it is yeah no i i don't think there's a lot of cancer risk in my family other, other than my grandmother um but my family has heart disease diabetes oh yeah other problems issues of that (laughs) nature yeah yeah, no. Um, we a, a lot of us are on the larger side. Got some, got some big boys. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. In, in general, I uh, other than and and we're a big family too. I mean, my my dad's got fourteen siblings, and my 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 grandmother has uh, twelve siblings. My my mom was an only child. Oh, but geez. yeah, Such of extremes. our like extended family. Uh, the yeah, the only case of cancer I can think of is my grandmother. So and we're, we're a lot of people. So I don't know. Yeah, but still, that's still something to be concerned this about. This is something to be concerned. And also, there are some genetic factors that affect cancer in general. Um, so even if you're you're not of a higher risk of having breast cancer. Technically, by having someone with any kind of cancer in your family, you're just a higher risk of having cancer, period. Um, because it could be that that cancer is specific to breast cancer, or it could be that you have a, people have genes that will affect mutations throughout the entire body. It's, it's hard to tell. And this might be a dumb question, but if, like, if someone has asthma or diabetes or any any real genetic or even even non-genetic um issues are are they at higher risk or is it typically just uh cancer um it's typically just cancer there are again generalizations here there are definitely diseases that increase your chances of getting cancer um in general chronic illnesses do increase chances of cancer mostly because mm-hmm. there's several factors one thing is that by any time you introduce treatment into your body, let's say adding insulin, you need to take insulin shots. Your body uh-huh. reacts to that. And of course, you should definitely take insulin. It'll it'll save your your, your gosh dang life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anyone. There, I, there's also anti-insulin people. I, I kid you not. It's, it's ridiculous. Really? Yeah, it's, I've heard of the anti-vaxxers, but not the insulin. Uh, insulin. They're usually the same. They're usually the same kind of people, but... The same people. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, so take your insulin, but... God, what would you do if you didn't take your insulin? Oh, you'd go into a coma and die. You'd just <laughs> be miserable. Yeah, black out and be bye-bye forever. Uh, if like, you eat a very low-sugar diet, you can probably survive. But if you don't, then yeah. But that doesn't sound plausible. I Okay. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I did not know that. That's why it's, it's a lot less popular than anti-vaxxers because, yeah, they tend to die. Uh, they tend to lose limbs uh, first. <laughs> 
<laughs> they don't last as long. No, unfortunately, they do not. <laughs> oh uh, we gosh. can talk about that a little bit later. But there's a there's an, a fascinating okay. history of insulin. Um, but anyway, uh, so anytime you're introducing any long-term treatment, it increases your cancer chan- cancer because your body is undergoing stress. And when your body undergoes stress of any kind, metabolic stress, emotional stress, anything like that, it just it has biochemical reactions in your body that increases the chance of cancer happening. Uh, so hmm. it's just, uh, and there are also viral infections that increase cancer. Is that just because your body is reacting to something foreign and it's taking it and kind of changing its mechanical, you know, system or move or I don't know. I don't know how to describe <laughs> no, yeah, it. Good. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, with insulin, not so much uh, because it's human insulin, but it's the stress of being having diabetes, right? That's the stress because even though, oh, even though okay. you are, um, and we're getting really good at this too, um, but if you someone's manually inserting insulin they're not nearly as good as their own pancreas is at, at releasing insulin uh-huh. and so you're having moments of high spikes of insulin and low blood sugar and and then the opposite happens high blood sugar and so when things like that are, are happening all the time your body reacts to it and it, it'll just increase the chance your immune system might be weakened therefore you might have a lowered response to cancer cells being generated and therefore more chance of cancer happening with huh. things like asthma, uh, things like that happen too. When your inflammation increases your chance of cancer in a lot of areas, a lot of ways. Again, because the stress of your body inflaming just increases that chance. Just slight, and these are very slight, slight chance. I'm not saying that people with with, with diabetes or asthma should be freaking out. They're very low uh-huh. chance, but yeah, these little tiny little ticks and and talks will get you closer to something like that. Interesting. That's really interesting. And you, and you said there's no real preventative measure. Like if, if it happens, it's going to happen. But I, I've heard things like cer- certain things you eat or antioxidants that you take or fish oils or red red berries. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how true any of this is, but I, I've heard that there's a lot of things that you can consume that helps prevent it, but isn't like the prevention. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, no, I, that does make sense. I will say that there is... There are negative things you can remove from your life that will reduce your chance of getting cancer. That is definitely a thing that could happen. You can start eating better, um, which means more fruits and veggies and things like that. Um, uh-huh. You can start like, exercising. Uh, reducing your exposure to UV radiation is a really big one. So there are things. I'm not saying that if you have a gene, you're going to get it no matter what. There's nothing you can do. So, you know, eat, drink, and be happy uh-huh. for tomorrow. You will yeah. die of cancer. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh-huh, yeah. But there are very few positive things you can do to prevent cancer. Um, there are a lot of people who claim foods and supplements will do, and there are some. I'm not going to say that they're all hooey. There are a few, but in general, like antioxidants is a big one. You've heard of antioxidants, and the reason why people are raving about antioxidants, even though they don't even know what that word means, is because they have a chance of removing radical ions in your body, which have been shown to increase cancer. So by huh. removing those things, you can, in theory, help your body deal with cancerous cells better. Uh, but to say that there's a preventive cancer pill out there is not something that exists. Like, it's just not something. Yeah. You can do everything right. You could never smoke. You could, you know, wear sunscreen or sunblock all the time. You could eat right. And it's possible that you still can't get it. Still happen, but it's not inevitable. I'm not saying it's an, you're going to have it no matter what. I'm just saying there's it's always a, a game of it's always gambling, right? You don't know exactly what, what uh-huh. it is the way it is. Yeah, just don't live in fear. I does the day I want to say don't be afraid of uh, going outside and eating a cheeseburger because you're oh, you know it's 
Yeah, no. Unless you're a ginger <laughs> like me, I I fear the sun. Definitely, <laughs> it's a monster. SPF five thousand doesn't. Hey, do you anything. got freckles. Those freckles help. <laughs> barely, yeah, barely. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that that's interesting because I I I guess I'd never really thought about things that you eliminate being more helpful than things you add because I I've always heard that. The old saying of like a glass of red wine and the antioxidants, one one glass a day helps. And like, well, I think that's super uh, funny because the reason why red wine is helpful is because of the grapes. It's not like you can drink. I was gonna say because like you, <laughs> yeah, people people are like, oh, a glass of red wine, we're so healthy. Like I know people that specifically drink red wine every day and then brag about it because they think it's so healthy. Now I'm not saying it's not good or it is good but like there, there are those people out there that are just like i'm a red wine drinker a glass a day like <laughs> you know and yeah i was gonna say it's just the fruit it's not the wine it's not like the mixture of you know the fermentation and everything just makes it good not that i'm aware of but again like you, you don't see people say the same thing about like vodka or whiskey it's not the alcohol like that's the yeah <laughs> that's the main thing I, I was gonna say if that's true, I'd be taking a swig every day. Exactly. And, and actually, alcohol <laughs> has a negative effect on, on how your body responds. I was going to say, I can imagine that'd be one thing that you want to eliminate. Uh, yeah, liver cancer, definitely serious. Um, although liver is pretty, it's pretty uh, strong. It's it's not as super common to get liver cancer. You're most likely to get like cirrhosis or hepatitis. But yeah, uh, alcohol huh. is something, it's a toxin that your body doesn't like. So limit your exposure to it as much as you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just eat grapes. Just eat, yeah, just eat grapes. Uh, eat, I guess some fruit. You can take an antioxidant supplement if that makes you feel better. I mean, this probably won't yeah. hurt you at all. So, unless you're on keto, don't eat grapes. Uh, well, I mean, you can a little bit. Yeah, a little grape here and there. <laughs> and that's true. If if you're if you uh, if you're what do you, what do you call that? Cautious and measuring, which I am not. I'm not good at measuring. Oh, well, now that you brought up keto, you must. That's your that's your stick today, right? Well, I, I had I had some things I wanted to talk about with it because it's been interesting because ever since you told me uh, basically how keto works and reacts in your body and your experience, I was like, that kind of sounds like the thing for me because I'm not the biggest fan of exercising. I like exercising, but I never have time for it. And so I, I started doing it and I can't believe how good I feel and the results. So I, I kind of wondered if, because uh, I, I thought you had mentioned that you had something that links keto and cancer in some way. Is, or, am, or am I mistaken? Oh, no, no, that's for sure. Uh, so I want to start off saying that um, independently, Morgan and I, me a long time ago, but uh, started doing keto. And to be honest, I didn't know it was keto until after I started it. I just did what I thought was the best thing for me. Um, and Morgan is a more recent, well, that's interesting. a more recent, uh, adopter of it. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, there is a link. So, uh, so again, one of those, I'm trying to get my words right. One of those biochemical reactions in these cells, so apoptosis, right? Cell death, self-initiated cell death. It's started uh -huh. by the mitochondria, the little, the little organelles in your cells. They're the ones that recognize, Hey, something's really going wrong here. And I need to initiate self-destruct procedures and kill this thing before it hurts anybody. And what, how, how cancer cells survive is that they normally shut down the mitochondria. Um, and it's hard to talk about cancer. Like, it's not a living thing. Like, it's not maliciously trying to shut it down. It just the mutation happens to shut down the mitochondria. Therefore, the mitochondria can't really induce apoptosis. 
But uh-huh. when you shut down mitochondria, which is the one that generates the most um, ATP or the most energy for the cell, you can't use energy like you used to. And so most cancer cells, again, generalizations here, most cancer cells go, they don't go through the normal way of producing energy. They don't take in um, the molecules that go into the mitochondria that make them, they go through something called glycolysis or like fermentation. This is what your muscles do when you're working out. That's why they burn um, because there's not enough time uh-huh. to go through the mitochondria. So it's just burning energy. It's really inefficient, but it's really fast. And so cancer cells, they'll just take sugar and they'll just break it in half basically and get the energy out of it and then throw the rest away. They're not really efficient with it. So people who have low blood sugars in general, cancer cells are, it's really hard for them to survive in environments where there's no sugar. It's really difficult for them. Um, And so if you're living in a way where you're having, you're limiting your blood sugar, you're, and again, this is mostly theory. There hasn't been a ton of studies on it because it's fairly new. But so far, we've seen that there is an effect on cancer cell survival if you're basically not eating any kind of carbs or sugars. That's really interesting because that goes straight into keto. Like that that's what keto is. It's hardly any carbs and no sugars. Yeah. And I'm not saying that if you go keto, you'll cure cancer. Like that's a very yeah, no. statement uh, because cancer cells, they, are res- they can be very resilient. There are ways your body... Um, basically can generate its own blood sugars and they can kind of hijack the system. So it's not a guarantee, but it would. Oh, that's freaky. It, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> well, your body does too. How, how, do, how does it, how, uh, dumb question. How does it do that? <laughs> like how would it create? So basically what happens is your body, the, the majority of your body can run without sugar. It just loves sugar because it's super easy your brain however like the majority of your brain kind of needs sugar it really does um and it can't use anything else it's really it doesn't like to use proteins it won't use ketone bodies and so your body has developed ways of basically taking the resource materials of proteins and fats and other vitamins and it can kind of it's called gluconeogenesis it'll make sugar out of things that weren't sugar uh, when it needs to and that usually happens in the liver and then it can ship those That's things really straight to your brain and be like, here, here's the sugar straight you need, even though we're not eating sugar, right? Because you, you need us to survive. That is so crazy. Yeah, it's, I, wow, wow, that's really weird to think about. I mean, it's inefficient, but it works. And so and uh-huh. your cancer cells can kind of trigger this response in a way if they're and, – and again, if they can't, they'll die. So that's probably another barrier to prevent cancer because every cancer is different and some cancer cells won't have this ability and some of them could. Uh, so it'll – but yeah, they can initiate this response and be like, hey, we need to make sugar. So when when you say it's not as efficient, do you mean it's harder for your body to do or it? Basically, when your body has to make its own sugar, it's technically expelling more energy than, than it's creating, you know, by default, second law of thermodynamics. Um, it's not creating new energy, uh, but it's making energy in a way that is more accessible to your brain. And so it's worth it. And so it'll do that. Okay, so just from that description, it it seems like if you were to do something like keto, where your body needs to create these sugars, what what did you call the process? I'm not, I'm gonna forget it's what called it's called. Gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis. Mm. Okay, when you're in the state where your body needs to go through gluconeogenesis, <laughs> um, would that not, as a result, either make you tired or drowsy or? kind of shut down or make you slower uh, in some way no generally not and because because I, I 
I, no, I was just going to say, because ever since doing keto, I and I mentioned this last episode, like, or the first episode we did a few weeks ago, um, I, I have issues going to sleep and staying asleep. Mm-hmm. But since being on keto, I'm like doing way better at night. During the day, I'm more awake. I feel like I've got some sort of mental clarity. I'm never hungry. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I've got more energy now than ever. So it's weird. And, and like brain function and uh, thought processing and whatnot. It, it's weird to think that th- what I'm doing now would cause my body to create an inefficient method to supply my brain with sugar. Uh, yeah, no. So basically, so there are two things. One is that it is inefficient, but it's not supplying your entire body with sugar. So your brain, even though your Just brain, brain is uh-huh. by weight pretty small, it actually uses a ton of energy. Um, but it doesn't uh, use more energy than the rest of your body. So I don't know if I should feel offended or <laughs> always feel offended. That's the the, the good response. Yeah. Always feel offended. So basically, yeah, in, in, like again, in general, your brain makes up like I don't know, like between ten and seven percent of your body weight, but it tends to use like twenty to twenty five percent of your your energy cost. It, it pretty much doubles huh. what it should, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because it just it, your humans are thinking machines. In other animals, that's generally not the case. Animals normally they have very uh-huh. low brain power and they don't need a lot of energy for it. Um, but but still, so your body is still the main thing that drives what makes you feel tired, what makes you feel not tired. And some of your brain can use other can use proteins and ketone bodies to power itself. So it's not that like your entire brain is completely reliant on sugar. It's just some parts uh-huh. need it, and therefore that's what provides it. So. Going to why a lot of people, generalizations, a lot of people feel better on keto is because when you're eating a normal human diet, like eating grains and carbs and sugars and proteins and stuff, is that your body, it, it kind of feels tired and not tired based on blood sugar. So when you eat carbs, grains, anything, no matter what they are, they get broken down in your stomach. Well, your mouth and in your stomach and in your small intestine. And they get absorbed. The sugar kind of gets extracted out of all of that. And then it gets shoved into your bloodstream. And you have all this sugar floating around. Um, but your body is not allowed to touch that sugar. It is like banned from touching sugar. Because sugar goes to the brain. It's like brain has first dibs. It gets whatever wants first. That's interesting. And so what allows cells to actually eat sugar is insulin. Insulin is like the dinner bell, uh, is what I was taught in biochem. It's like, well, now is the time to eat. Insulin is now going to allow these guys to go into your muscle cells, your your skin cells, everything. But before insulin gets there, it's not allowed. It's no touchy. You can't touch it. So the brain gets its fill. So is, is, is okay, so insulin, when, when, when somebody uses insulin, that is used to reduce your blood sugar, correct? Yeah, it reduces blood sugar by putting that sugar into cells, yes. By by basically telling the telling it to go everywhere rather than condensing and creating high blood pressure uh, or high high blood sugar sugar uh, yes and which yeah. is why and also blood in your sugar is dangerous it doesn't want to be in blood for too long that's why people who are diabetic and if they don't take their insulin I mean take guys take your insulin if they don't take their insulin <laughs> uh, they can actually go into coma. Your sugar is uh-huh. actually a very high energy molecule. And if it starts bouncing around in places where it shouldn't be, it'll actually start reactions and will start damaging your body. Wow. That's really interesting. So blood sugar is not no bueno, not good. Yeah, no. And then when there's no sugar in your blood, like let's say you ate, now it's like an hour and a half later, the, your body has absorbed all the sugar, it's eaten everything. 
it feels okay for a while. It's like, okay, I have every cell is like, I have enough energy. But then after a while, it feels that sugar is gone and there's no insulin coming to allow more sugar in or anything. And so the cells start crying, hey, I'm really hungry. I was just eating sugar and now there's no more sugar and I want to eat food. And so your body, as more and more cells release these signals, your body is thinking, well, I need to get more sugar in me. My, you know, my cells are crying out for energy. I need it. And that's why you feel really tired because your cells are saying, I'm not having enough energy. I'm just going to slow down because I don't have enough energy to do what I used to do. So I'm just going to wind down. And that's when you feel tired. It's when your blood sugar is low. And that's why you feel like you want to snack. That's why you want to feel like you want to take a nap. That's why you feel like all these other things. So that, that that's essentially a sugar crash. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say sugar. It's not like I'm, you can have this. I wouldn't say crash. Like if you eat a ton of refined white sugar, yeah, it's a crash. But if you eat like oatmeal uh-huh, yeah. and whole grains, you can still get this slump because even though those those are definitely way better than un, than refined sugar, pure white and sugar, white bread, yeah, it's still the same thing. It's still glucose that enters your body. And uh-huh. and it's perfectly normal. It's fine. I'm not saying this is not bad. Like people, this is not a bad thing. All, every mammal goes through this. The reason why your cat and dog sleeps all day is because they eat. I mean, like dogs eat grains, and so they're sleepy because they haven't eaten in six hours. Um, if you uh-huh. look at mammals, they are generally kind of sleepy and tired-ish, uh, sort of. If they don't, I eat. figured my dog was just kind of depressed and slept all day. <laughs> but you're you're saying it's his food. Okay, I'm just saying like it's it's a very common better. thing for mammals. That of course there are energetic uh-huh. animals, mammals, and blah, blah blah. And but but I'm just saying it's a very common thing for animals. Not a, and for humans, no problem. But for humans, we are different. We feel like oh, I shouldn't be tired, right? I want to be. I want to be working all day or doing whatever and have all this energy. And so what people yeah. end up doing is you just end up eating more. And your body doesn't need the extra energy. It just feels like it does because you people have pretty much trained their entire lives. Hey, if you need energy, you can eat whenever, right? Eat food. Mod- yeah, yeah, modern exactly. humans are – we have pantries full of food. We have grains all the time. There's cereal and, and you know, then – donuts and all the delicious things we all love and so uh-huh. your body's like yes eat eat all the time because we can uh, because way a long time ago that wasn't the case we had we were agriculturalists we would harvest tons of corn one part of the year and eat corn for six months and then we have six months with no corn and then your body would be like well we just have to use what we have and so your body's used to storing that sounds awful well, <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah but your body's just used to storing everything as fat because it's just hey we need to survive the winter but in now in modern society we don't really have a winter uh, for food we just we can buy food whenever and so yeah yeah and so that's why you feel tired is when your your blood yeah. sugar is low <laughs> In 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 conclusion, I, I guess my 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 mind is wandering to a million different things right oh, okay. now. Okay, oh yeah. But, um, so to go back to, and I'm I'm talking a ton. So, um, but no, no, yeah. Well, the more you talk, the more like my mind's blown and questions pop up, and like my brain can't keep up with all of them. Um, but uh, yeah. So yeah, going going back to keto and having started keto, um, I think I'm down about 22 pounds, and and it's been maybe five weeks mm-hmm. and and i can't believe that <laughs> that it has it, it's insane to me and and you know i don't think i've ever done a diet for longer than two weeks and this one i i feel completely fine and happy and excited to do and, and it's weird because i'm not eating three meals a day i'm eating maybe one meal and a snack and 
I, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but my, my mom is a competitive weightlifter, yeah, right? Yeah, you told me this many times. And yes. so <laughs> she'll, okay, well, yeah, um, she'll train and, um, but prior to competition, she needs to drop weight classes in order to be competitive with, you know, in different weight classifications. Yeah, and what she'll do is she'll do keto for a few weeks, drop a bunch of weight, and then like have her weigh in. And then usually it's a day or two before the competition. She carbo loads, gets energy back and, uh, and then, and then competes. But it, it's just incredible how the, that one conversation that we had sparked this thing in my head that was like, I've never tried keto. I should really try keto. I'm going to talk to a few people about it. And after talking to you, I talked to my mom and then here, here's what I wanted to get into. I, you, you could probably get into the science behind keto and how it all works. I kind of know the basics, but I can't believe how much negative stigma there is around it, how it's unhealthy to lose the weight that fast, that it's not, uh, it's an extreme diet. And I don't believe that at all because understanding the biology behind it, it sounds like it's perfectly normal and biologically sound method of eliminating fat. And so the, the, the first time I told my wife I was going to do keto, she was pissed. <laughs> she, she was like, you should not go that extreme. The people I listen to, they don't do that. And I'm like, okay, but you listen to a nutritionist that works out six times a week. That's like three hour workouts a week and you're all crazy in the gym. And I understand that keto's got some little negative things about it. Like it, it doesn't have the carbohydrates or the glucose to keep your energy levels up for like high intensity training and yeah, stuff. And I, I've noticed that too. When I, when I do, I did insanity, um, for like a month and then I stopped, did a bunch of home remodeling and then got into keto. I've done insanity a couple times on keto and I'm just exhausted during insanity. Like I, I don't have the same energy level, but, uh, yeah, my wife thought I was an extremist. She was like, you shouldn't do that. You're going to burn out. It's never going to happen. Da, da, da. And now 22 pounds later, she still tells me she doesn't like it. <laughs> like I, I don't get what the deal is, but after we had that conversation, it made me think about certain people who can't necessarily get physical exercise to lose weight. And, and, you know, the concept of keto was a whole new thing to me. I didn't, didn't know anything about it. And so I thought my, my little brother is very physically handicapped and is overweight. He swims once a week to burn some calories, but really, I, I, I highly doubt it amounts to much, mm. but he started keto and he, he dropped about 10 pounds in two weeks yeah, Solid. and, and he's super stoked about it. But then my stepmom is freaking out. She's saying it, it's an extreme diet. It's not healthy. Now we got to do completely different grocery shopping and meal planning. And I don't see it as that intense. And the big thing that these, I call them keto deniers because <laughs> now I know quite a few of them. Um, her big thing is how can butter be healthy? How can eating bacon be healthy? You know, because we're we're taught like, you know, fried bacon's not good. Don't use butter on a lot of things when in fact it's like the bread you put it on, you know, that causes all the issues. But I I feel like there's so many keto deniers out there. I I don't know. I I need some simple way to explain 
why it is that th- this is completely good to do. All right. Now, <clears throat> I want to start off by saying I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not like any kind of physician. <laughs> I'm not, you know. Neither, neither am I. I'm, I'm an expert of nothing. You should. Yeah. Always, when I say yeah. things, take it with a grain of salt. Like. Uh, always yeah. follow the advice of your physician. Um, I, in general, well, almost, you are my physician, always, basically. No, no, no. So. Almost always yeah. follow your doctor's <laughs> advice. They know what they're talking about. <clears throat> so there are uh-huh. legitimate health concerns with keto. I, I'm not an advocate for like, oh, everyone should be on keto forever. Like, no, I, I disagree. I feel like actually, I think it's becoming more common than probably it should be. Um, I don't think it's extreme, but I th- yeah, there are. And let me talk about the, the the potential health damaging qualities keto might have. For one, it's really hard to eat. So okay, so the generalization keto for people who aren't well aware is when you basically eat a high fat, like low to moderate protein, and essentially no mm-hmm. carbohydrates whatsoever. Like no breads, no sugars, no like nothing with almost nothing as uh-huh. little as you can and the the kind of trick is to get your body into a state called ketosis and ketosis means that your body is generate ketone bodies ketone bodies from fat tissue to generate energy to generate ATP which your body is well designed to do okay so here are some of the health drawbacks so one thing is that people generally eat unhealthy fats so like you said they'll eat bacon they'll eat butter they'll eat red meat and in short term that's not too bad but it's bad for your cholesterol um it can you know harm people who have high risk of heart disease it can do that Uh, and that's technically not an issue because if people who are very serious about keto they're really well aware they want you to eat healthy fats like nuts and you know in general yeah people end up eating and that's that happened with me too i ate a lot of bacon i ate a lot of cheese and it was great i loved it but that is not uh-huh. It's not healthy in the way for your heart, you know. Again, short term, not probably a horrible thing to have happen to you. Not horrible, not horrible yeah. but yeah, it is not. Yeah, that is not good. Um, there are some people who are physically unable to go through keto. Uh, it will harm them. People who have low already have problems with low blood sugar. They might experience some fainting spells or things like that. Some people's bodies just need carbs and that's perfectly fine yeah from what i understand people with diabetes it's often very challenging to do keto right it's it depends on the diabetes but it's challenging but it can also have a lot of benefits um uh, it's hard because there is ketoacidosis which is what happens when you have someone who's diabetic doesn't eat enough sugar which is very bad Mm -hmm. they can also get into but if you're doing things right, you shouldn't go into ketoacidosis you should go just into ketosis but yeah people with diabetes it adds an extra layer of of complication to it and again talk to your physician they might know more but i will say uh the i'm not a person that believes in diets i've never dieted before i i've like counted calories sometimes you know i'm I'm a bigger person growing up i've always been a bigger person and so i thought like well Mm -hmm. let me you know try to calorie count blah blah i just never really did anything for me but i wouldn't try i didn't exercise i hate exercise i think it's kind of gross and i'm an i'm an i'm an introvert i'm an indoor person yeah no i don't like getting sweaty Uh it's just disgusting yeah i hate when other people are like looking at you and you're looking at other people in the gym that's weird it is weird i don't like it at all so i hate that Uh um and I just lived with it. And it wasn't until I was about to graduate and I wanted to, you know, I was like going to graduate. I was going to move out of my own. Like, hey, this is the time to start my life. I should really start thinking of how I look at my body and I want to feel good about it, whatever. And it was after I took 
uh, one of my biochem courses that I learned about a, a method your body has of breaking down fats from your body rather than breaking down carbs. And it was, uh -huh. it, it was, it's kind of rigorous. Uh, the transition usually isn't super pretty for most people. Um, they kind of, they could get us kind of sick called a keto flu. Um, but I'm like, Hey, I want to try it. And so I kind of wanted to try it. And it wasn't until later I realized like, Oh yeah, this is a huge community of people who are doing this. I had no idea. So, <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, because growing up, I had cousins who did like juice diets, you know, they did like other things. And that's just that never appealed to me. That seems so lame. You know, like, oh, yeah, they would no. juice a salad. Like, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's shout out to all my cousins. I'm sorry. I they don't they say do they don't that. remember, but you I know. do remember it very well. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> the the juice, the juice phase that they had. Yeah. Um, but basically, but that's another thing I've noticed with keto too, is it seems very popular, almost like it's a fad right now, Exactly. but it doesn't seem like everybody follows it the way that it's supposed to be followed. No. Um, like, like with keto, you're supposed to say that again. Fad diets are usually really bad. I'm just going to say like, don't ever follow a diet yeah. for fad reasons. So. Yeah, no. And, and I, maybe that's where some of the negative stigma is coming with, with keto, but, um, I mean, keto, like you said, some people experience like a keto flu as their body transitions in, into, you know, ketosis. But I, I didn't experience that. And I, I think it happened fairly quick because in the first 11 days, I was down about 14 pounds. Yeah. Um, and I, I never experienced any like illness or like tiredness or like a slump. Um, but I also understand that you you basically can't have any cheat days. Like you, you can't yeah. like have a piece of pizza and well, and I, I wonder if that's kind of why there's a negative stigma around it. Cause there's a lot of people out there that are probably doing it, but also like, Oh, it's Saturday. I'm going to have a burger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I, I've been very good for the last five weeks. Um, we're going out of town this weekend and I'm going to, eat at one of my favorite restaurants. That'll be the first time I break keto. And my, my mom's telling me I'm going to feel like shit, but I, I'm pretty excited for where we're going to eat. But, uh, another thing that people say is like, as soon as you stop doing it, you gain all the weight back. Uh, is that not true of any diet? Well, any, uh, <laughs> any system. So that, that is true, I guess. But with, with terms to keto, that's not, usually the case um, you can slowly transition out of it in a healthy way yeah maintaining a healthy style not necessarily doing strict keto exactly. anymore but so as a person i did yeah. i uh, did keto for about over a year um before i basically mm -hmm. like kind of weaned myself off of it and i'm not saying I'm eating normally now but just more normal i should say did you did you when when you were doing it uh, sidetracked a little bit when you were doing it did you ever do cheat days or did you go a long period of time before I usually went ever I usually went shipping? long periods of time and but I would have random days where I would eat like a donut or you know there was something at where I was working with those food and I just happened to eat some it's again everyone's body's different for some people uh -huh. any because again keto diets don't doesn't necessarily mean zero carbs like they just mean very low which means about usually less than 20 grams a day so you can eat like a, a few slices of bread or you know a bowl a small. it's really surprising how much 
carbs are in everything though. Yeah, like you, yeah. you think I'm not going to eat any carbs and you still add up to 20 grams. You do. Yeah. Like it, it's crazy. So, but uh-huh. I did have days and I don't know every, again, people are like, I didn't have a keto flu. I'm pretty, most people do. And so again, I'm not saying that the keto flu is not real. It's real. But for some people, as soon as they eat any kind of like, let's say you slice a cake, they might knock them out of ketosis for a week, you know, but for me, that never really happened. I did notice some changes. One thing I realized the more carbs I ate, the hungrier I got. I got so hungry when I ate breads again. It was ridiculous. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, it was, Well, that's because your body's no longer yeah. <laughs> feeding off the fat that's already there, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, so the reason why a lot of people, they feel like they have uh, like a lot of energy, or not for like exercise, like you said, because... Uh, exercise energy usually comes from starches that you're it's like it's like mental clarity more than anything mental clarity or whatever uh yeah whatever you want to call it awakeness <laughs> i don't i don't know what to call it it's yeah it's not like physical like i'm gonna go run a mile and feel good like not not like that but it's usually the lack of sluggishness and i would yeah, say basically that's not i would say the majority of that isn't from going through keto the majority of that is going through not eating as much period because um, if you... They're not eating crap. Eat, well, even. even that's not even because you, when you're digesting food, your body is working really hard to break things down. Um, huh. And so you're using a lot of energy. So there's people who there are... That's interesting. Never really thought about that. You, using energy to break down things to get more energy. That That's interesting. Yeah, and so that's why when you, oh, like, you, you, really know, when you eat a really way. big meal, you want to take a nap. Like your body's like, hey, yeah, oh, of I'm course. trying to, you know, digest a pound of pork you just ate. Let me just lie down real quick. Yeah. Take it easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh-huh. And so a lot of that comes from that. I wouldn't say that keto gives you this like superhuman energy. It's just like, well, your body, there's people who, um, especially in Eastern cultures, but also now Western ones who they'll fast for like a week, which is kind of crazy to me. Oh, I could never do that. For after they say the first three days is really hard. And then they say after three days. When their body is kind of finished digesting everything it had, they feel really good because their body is no longer using energy to digest food and is not trying to eat. It's realizing, hey, I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to ignore this for a while. And after seven days, That's it gets weird. really bad. So after seven days, they feel starved, so they have to eat. So it's not a sustainable yeah, thing. I, yeah, that sounds horrible. I, I would never be able to no, do that. No, neither can I. But I'm just saying, it's not, yeah. So basically, your uh-huh. the feeling of having... Like energy is because, again, going back to when people are eating a normal carbohydrate diet, is that blood sugar goes really high and really low, really high, really low, unless you're doing this thing where you eat like 10 times a day really small meals, which is healthier, which is definitely true, but not viable for most people. Uh, what happens is your body, once you start not eating breads, but your the key is to eat a lot of fats. That's the thing. You don't want to starve your body because when you starve your body, that has a very negative effect on your metabolism. Because your body just wants to, yeah. this is why most diets are yo-yo diets. They lose a lot of weight. They feel okay. And then they go back to eating. And then their body's like, hey, we just survived this crisis of no food. Let's pack on more pounds. Because next time, who knows how long we'll go without food. And they end up actually weighing more uh-huh. than when they started with. Um, hmm. And so with keto diets, is a little different because you're eating a lot. Your body's like, well, we're eating. Like there's a lot of food. It's just not the yeah. cars we're used to. And that transition period is as your cells are crying out for food, right? Like low blood sugar, they're crying out and your body says, hey, there's no sugar here. We don't have any sugar to give you. But guess what? There's a ton of these these ketone bodies flying, floating around. Maybe you should try that. Uh-huh. And so your body can run 
almost exclusively on ketone bodies. It doesn't need sugar. It loves sugar, but it doesn't need it. And so when you're when you eat a high fat diet, your body just says, you know what, we're gonna use this. Boom, we're using it. And after a while, your body starts recognizing, hey, there's a lot of fat tissue in here that we can use that so we don't even have to wait to eat uh, to fill our <laughs> blood with it. And so what happens is that there's like a constant supply of ketone bodies from your body's reserves of fat, which that's what kind of helps you feel like you don't really have a crash. You don't really have a high after you eat a lot of sugar. You just feel kind of good and neutral the whole way because your body is like, oh, there's no there's no food shortage here. We have plenty of it. It's in the blood all the time. No problems. We can function as normal. That's so interesting because that's that's how I've felt for the last five, almost six weeks now. Uh, it, yeah, it's been it's been really crazy. I just think it's funny how many how many people are out there that are just like anti keto, almost like it was developed by <laughs> Satan. or No, something. and I understand because um, it does seem extreme. Like if someone says, hey, I understand cutting back on sugar. Well, I think it's because it, it, there's nothing else out there like it. I mean, what diet's going to tell you to eat <laughs> cheese and bacon? It does seem really, right. It does seem really like scammy you know like oh just like i don't know how to <laughs> yeah, say it and it almost sounds like a big internet troll that yeah, everybody's just, falling for and again if i had learned about keto that it, as a fad diet i probably wouldn't have even started because i'm very against like ugh, i don't like that seems really dumb but On, honestly growing up i remember my mom doing it at different intervals before competitions and she'd just like eat bacon and i'd be <laughs> like this this seems so counterintuitive to your end goal like why are you doing this? And it, it was never explained to me. She never made like me or my brother doing it, do it as we were growing up. Um, but yeah, ever, ever since I told her that I was going to do keto, she has sent me books and videos and resources. Oh, and okay. it's like, okay, I don't want to get that far into it. Back All up. Right. Well, I swear every day she's sending me pictures of people on Instagram before and after pictures of keto. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's okay. I'm, but, I'm in it. I'm already uh, here. Okay, well. You get both extremes. So, Morgan, are you ready for a conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I'm always <clears throat> ready. So, you know the food pyramid we were we always grew up watching? Um, like the... Oh, you mean the the bullshit one? <laughs> well, okay. Now, now it's really it's commonly accepted to be like you know maybe not the best, but yeah, you had the bottom where you were supposed to eat a shit ton of bread. <laughs> like it was like, hey, the base of your pyramid needs to be bread, right? Like that was the thing. God, I got I got to look up a picture of the food pyramid now just to remember yeah, it all. It's just, but yeah, keep going. Um, and then there was like dairy, and then you no know, meats and fed fruits and vegetables, and the very tippy top was like the oil or whatever. It was like sparingly use these. So I always thought, yeah, eat less. Yeah, I always thought growing up, but like you know what, physicians, nutritionists, they were simply misinformed, right? The majority of Americans. And this is an American. It's not even the world diet. This is very American. The, the food pyramid was not a global phenomenon. It's almost exclusively an American one. Um, uh-huh. Americans eat a lot of grains. This is what they thought was healthy. And it's for the most part, I feel like it's true. Most physicians and nutritionists, that's what their assumption was. They got this recommendation. They, 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 they said there's nothing wrong with it. It's fine. Boom. In reality, it came from... Uh, corporate interest over sugar. So back in the 50s, there were a lot of people that were coming out, a lot of nutritionists, physicians coming out saying, hey, sugar, like in soda and things like that, is really bad for you. 
Like it's super bad. Uh-huh. And the sugar companies were like, no, that's not true. Yeah, that's we want yeah, people no, no. to buy sugar. <laughs> yeah. And basically they they uh went to the USDA. It's like, hey, you are the economy, the food economy, the agricultural economy is the USDA. You are the US Department of Agriculture, you should be aware, could collapse because people are not gonna want to buy breads and sugars. And uh-huh. people are gaining weight. Like in the 50s and 60s, that's when people first started to kind of, you know, get bigger. Post-World War II, uh-huh. there was a lot of food. We were doing really great. And so people were like, oh, that's why you see old movies. You see those weird shaking machines that people were trying to lose weight with or whatever. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's when all that would have been developed, exactly, huh? because people were worried about weight yeah. gain. And before, in the Great Depression, no way. No one was worried about getting weight. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Nobody was overweight. Uh-huh. And so USDA is like, hey, we need to find a culprit. What is causing this? And these grain companies and these sugar companies are like, hey, you know, it's all that fat. All that fat people are eating. You know, if you're eating that's fat, that's why you're they call fat. it that's fat. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why yeah. they call it fat, right? Uh-huh. That's why they call it fat. And so, uh, and to be to be uh, fair, these companies did have research backing them up. But this research was geared towards people who are eating a lot of fat and a lot of carbs, which is a horrible combination. Uh-huh. You don't want to do that. Uh, because that will lead to uh, yeah. weight gain. And so he's like, oh, you're right, all these fat. And so fat was labeled as this horrible thing that should be avoided. You should eat lots of grains and not a lot of fats. And and that's kind of persisted for like 50, 60 years, uh, even until today uh, for the most part. And so a lot of reason why people are afraid of fats is because they were raised being taught, hey, fats are evil. Don't eat them. That's That's so interesting. So it's not really a conspiracy theory, but it kind of is. So <laughs> when, it, oh no, it I don't think it's a conspiracy at all. It sounds totally legitimate. I, oh, I was about to ask you something and my mind completely slipped. Um, when did, uh, when, when, so when you first decided you were going to do keto, it wasn't that you discovered keto. You said you heard it in a class or something. So I, it was when I learned about the biochemical process in my Biochem 2 class of how your body will break down fats when there's not uh, an excess amount of carbs in, in your or blood sugar. And so, yeah, I never heard of the term keto until after I had basically started. That's interesting. I wonder, maybe you know this, when the actual like study and conclusion came about of achieving ketosis and your body going through this different method of getting energy um there's not a set amount in fact like this has kind of been known for a really long time uh back in the 70s there was a huge uh study done on eskimos like native eskimos because eskimos live in an environment that there were no Uh plants to eat all they ate were like they fished they ate seals they ate you know and they seemed pretty healthy they could live a long time and so in the 70s, it was kind of this interest like, hey, how are these people uh, living if they're not eating their 15 servings of grain a day uh-huh. you know, kind of thing? And basically, it was because they humans are extremely adaptable. We can adapt to so many. And that's what makes us really unique as animals. We have, we're kind of like an animal that can live anywhere, which is kind of crazy. If you think about it, not very yeah. many animals do that. Um, and so we have a very flexible metabolic process. We can eat an all-grain diet. We can eat an all, almost a nearly all-protein and fat diet like Eskimos and other fishing communities and still be relatively healthy. So it uh, we've known this for a while, sort of, um, but it began to get really popular, I would say, in the mid to early 2010. 10s you know like 2010 to 2015 uh-huh. that's when it kind of started which is crazy because i never heard of it until like 2019 uh-huh. 
And I think, but like 2018 and 2019 was the, the two big years when people were like, well, a lot of people, it, it got like fad status where celebrities were doing it. Um, but it, like you said, most of them were uh-huh. doing it wrong. And so it doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, so I feel like it's kind of been known. It's sort of been known for a while, but it was publicly accepted fairly uh, recently. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I need to read some of the 20 books my mom sent me about it to get some more info. Don't read any of those books. You don't need those books. Way more than I need. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know. Uh, all I would say is to avoid as much as you can processed uh, fats. Like, And I'm a, I'm a big hypocrite because I did this all the time. Like I you know, avoid eating hot dogs and bacon and butter but they're so del- and cheese, but they're so delicious. Yeah, I don't know. I have, I, I have a hard time eating other fats. Like avocados, almonds. Well, you should eat a lot of. Uh-huh. I eat a lot of nuts. I eat a. I eat a lot of like mixed nuts. Avoid like um, cashews, pecans. Oh, pecans. I thought pecans were one of the. I don't eat pecans, but I thought they were one of the good ones. One of the low carbs. Uh, they're kind of str- They're a little more sugary oh, than you might expect. That's uh-huh. why pecan pie is so delicious. They're a little uh-huh. more sugary, but I mean, again, they're not even like super yeah. bad. But peanuts are really good. Almonds, almonds yeah. are amazing. But, almonds but are cashews, so, and I love almonds. Like, they're delicious. I, cashews are a no-no. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad uh, because they're uh-huh. not actually nuts. Uh, they come from a fruit. I don't know if you know that. Uh, <laughs> wow. They come from an apple. It's called a cashew apple. The apple is a fruit, and the cashew looks like a little horn that grows huh. on top of it. And so people just take off the, the cashew nut or the horn or whatever and put it in the bag. Wow. And we usually don't eat the fruit, but the people who are native to those areas, they love the fruit. That's really fruit. interesting. Never knew that. That's awesome. I'll look it up now. But, um, but yeah, oh, but, but, and then on top of that, I'm like never hungry. So when I do snack, I, I eat maybe 20 almonds and then I'm good to go for another like two, three hours. It's weird. It's so weird. What I, in, in the summer last year, what I would do is I would have a bag of pepperoni in the freezer. And when I got hungry, I would just like pop a frozen pepperoni in my mouth. And it was so a good. A frozen pepperoni? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little, because they're like little circles. They're like crackers. But they're cold when it's hot outside, and they're delicious. What? I've never thought about eating frozen pepperoni. It's funny because how I got into that is uh, when I was and I was in I think high school. I had a friend in growing up, and we would just watch movies in his basement all the time. Um, And he has, and he's one of those people who I never had this. It seems crazy to me, but he had like a their family had a freezer just for frozen food in their basement, uh, different from their fridge, and it had. Tons of stuff for baking and, you know, frozen pizzas and things like that. And so they had these bags of pepperoni in there. So we would like sneak in between the movie and just grab this <laughs> random bag of pepperoni and start eating it. And so that's <laughs> so that's when I started doing that. And it's so good. I still have a, a bag of pepperoni in my fridge right now. So it's delicious. I'll give it a go. Again, it's processed. So you should avoid it. But it's so good. Yeah, you should. But... <laughs> so do what I say, not what I do. Nah, I'm, I'm going to do it. So. <laughs> well it won't kill me uh but yeah but i did i there were days in fact during the holidays i had like a whole week where i didn't follow keto like i had a whole week where i was just like you know what i don't care it's thanksgiving it's christmas whatever i would eat mashed potatoes i would eat rolls i eat sugar and i didn't feel really great but after like a few weeks i think my body's like okay was that like in the middle of you doing it or was that near the end or this was this was like nine months after I started, and so it was near the end, sort of. So I think my body, um, and so I think, oh, going back to regaining weight um, after you end any kind of diet is, I think the key is long term loss. What happens with fat diets is that you do the diet for like a month or two, 
you get sick and tired of it because it's not sustainable and you give up and then you gain all the weight back. That's me on every diet before this. I've never tried dieting, so I, I, that's just uh-huh. what I've heard. I think the key to stopping that is to keep it up for a long time because your body gets used to a certain weight. It's very comfortable at specific weights. And if it's there for a long time, it feels like that's the new normal. As in the weight or the diet? Of the weight. Of the diet too. Yeah, the plateau. I think, and you'll see that, like uh, I lost a bunch of weight the first few months. And then after a while, like the last six months, I didn't lose anything. I just stayed constant, which is fine. I didn't really try super Uh hard either. So, Uh, but I think your body gets used to it. It it kind of uh, resets if you will, its position. And so even after I stopped, I've pretty much maintained my weight for the past month eating a normal diet because my body's just thinking, hey, you know what? This is just my weight. And if I eat a ton, yeah, I'll gain weight again. Uh, but I feel like if you if you do it for a long time, you shouldn't have too many problems. Again, everyone's different generalizations. Yeah. You shouldn't have too many problems ballooning up as soon as you stop, as long as you've weighed. As long as I don't go to six donuts a day immediately. Yeah, and as long as you don't sustain that over like a month, right? <laughs> Which I've never been that bad. But. Yeah, because since I've stopped doing keto, I've noticed I definitely am less hungry than I used to be. Like I'm more hungry than uh-huh. when I was on keto. Less hungry I'm, than before. Yeah, like significantly. And I feel like when I do eat, because I usually, I'm now eating a low carb diet and not eating a normal diet. So my body is still kind of like, eh, it's fine. Yeah. I haven't had hardly any cravings either, which is funny because that's something that I experienced heavily doing any other diet within the first week. And I've had very, very few issues with keto. Yeah, I think what keto kind of taught me is that weight is so heavily dependent on metabolism that you really should pay attention to how that's working versus what kind of exercise you're doing or things like that. Because there's things like intermittent fasting, which I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I've heard of that. Where people only eat at specific times. And that's kind of what keto initiates because if you only eat for like an hour or two, then the rest of the day, your body has to find another energy source and it ends up being fat because why not? And people who go through keto uh, inadvertently also do intermittent fasting because like you said, they don't get really hungry and so they only eat a little bit. Exactly. I was going to say that kind of seems like the norm with keto, like people try to do it hand in hand. And that was another reason my wife thought it was like extreme. But I I, I always told myself I wasn't going to do that. But it kind of just developed into that because, yeah, because I'm, I'm never hungry. Mm-hmm. I eat lunch every day and uh, usually a late lunch, like 2 or 3 o'clock and around 10 o'clock a snack and like 10 o'clock in the morning. And after lunch, it's 50-50 on if I eat anything the rest of the evening. It, it's pretty crazy. So it's weird. Yeah, it's definitely a, a change in how your body works. And so, yeah, I mean... I mean, we'll see. It could be that in 10 years, they're going to have a big study. Like, guess what? Keto will kill you dead. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But for now, and I don't think that's going to happen because, again, there's a lot of people who naturally go through do a ketogenic diet and they live, they can mm-hmm. live a long time. And now, okay, the last thing I wanted to bring up, I don't, I don't know how much time you have left, but I probably got to get going here in a bit. Oh, I have plenty of time. It's up to you. Yeah. Okay. So, so last note, um... I I think you brought this up or my mom brought this up or one of the 10,000 things she sent me brought this up. Is it not, was it not initially started or created? Maybe the science behind it was known, but kind of it was really pushed as a diet to prevent or help with epilepsy. Oh, yes. 
Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I really forgot about that. Yeah. So basically, and the, the reason why it popped up in like the 2010, 2011 time when I when I said that is because there was a link to blood sugar levels and epilepsy and seizures. Basically, uh, when because sugars are one of the very few molecules that can go through the blood brain barrier, there's a barrier around your brain that is super filtered so that nothing most of your immune system can't even get in there uh, it has its own your brain has its own special immune uh, system into it so that it doesn't have to interact with the outside world and so when there's a high blood sugar inside the blood brain barrier uh, again blood sugar is not good for the most part for long periods of time and it could bump around and start reacting to things it shouldn't and so people with epilepsy they have a thing where their blood sugar in their brain is not healthily managed so again in normal people not a problem normal people can eat sugar and blood in your brain not not a problem whatsoever but for people with epilepsy at least some of them uh they had problems because they're yeah like i said they couldn't their brain couldn't handle that sugar and so when they had low sugar it reduced the chance of it have them having seizures because these reactions would not occur with their nerve cells so yeah it's it's it, it does seem to have a significant not even like a minor because with like cancer and other things that like there's a very slight uh benefit to it but there seems to be a significant uh benefit for people for epilepsy where some people even have no seizures if they're on a keto that's, diet that's crazy that's super interesting and you know my brain's going through files from like 14 years ago and it's remembering i'm remembering a movie that i watched i think freshman year in in high school is that any way related to the the movie lorenzo's oil have you ever seen that movie i don't think i've seen that no it sounds like something similar so it, the movie is about a boy and i i don't know if it's based on a true story or is 100 percent factual but it's essentially he he's got this disease his body doesn't generate the enzymes necessary to break down Let, okay here we go it, it's a disease linked to the x chromosome it is a result of fatty acid buildup mm -hmm. caused by the relevant enzymes not functioning properly, which then causes damage to the myelin sheath of the nerves, resulting in seizures and hyperactivity. So this this kid the whole yeah. time is getting sicker and sicker, and his parents are frantically trying to figure out how, how to fix it. And they, the, I, I can't remember if it was the father or the doctor they're working with, they determine that it's the the enzymes aren't working correctly or he's not he's doesn't have enough of them and so then they 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 kind of experiment with this oil that they put on salads and stuff and it's supposed to boost that and it's actually helped and gotten rid of this issue in everybody since basically and I, I wondered how related that was to keto or if that's something completely different uh, i think it's different um it rings true because the myelin sheaths basically your nerve cells or in your brain cells are kind of they're almost touching each other they're kind of like wires there's a little space between them but the myelin sheath is like the insulating uh element around the wire and so without the myelin it'll just short circuit and once you have a short circuit in some nerve cells it can cause a chain reaction which is what a seizure is it's just your brain firing off randomly that's why people unfortunately become really they get spasms uh -huh. and things like that it's scary um, so yeah i'm not too sure if if that's related it could be um i think that's more specifically because i feel like people with epilepsy again epilepsy is this blanket term for people who have a lot of seizures and they could have there could be a dozen or so different reasons why they are having seizures um and so it could be that for some people yeah it has to do with they're missing an essential enzyme and 
some oils definitely have that, or it could be that um, certain stimulus like flashing lights uh, cause seizures, and therefore that's why they have epilepsy. So I don't think that's directly related. Uh, again, this is there's no cure. I'm not gonna say that there's a, a cure. If you go keto, you'll never have a seizure. Some people have no response, unfortunately, to their epilepsy to keto that we're still kind of researching. Because I don't know if you know, your brain is made of fat. Yeah, I I actually did. Uh huh. Couldn't 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 give you the science behind it, but yes, I I do know that. Yeah, it's composed. Is it all of it or almost all of it is made of fat? Uh, no, it's not all of it. There's 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 a lot of protein uh-huh. and stuff in there. But the majority of it, yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. When you think about the brain, you think of jelly. Like it, it looks like fat. It, yeah, kind of jiggly. And, and again, that's kind of the reason why your brain isn't really happy eating fat because it's made of fat, and so it releases a lot of enzymes to consume fat. Oh, that's scary. Oh, <laughs> uh, again, that's why you have a blood-brain barrier. So those enzymes cannot go through to your brain, and that's why your brain needs sugar. Wow, I'm very thankful for that. <laughs> no, don't worry. There's there's no chance that your brain's gonna you're gonna eat your own brain if you go through keto. Um, Freaking crazy, yeah. But yeah, again, I think uh, again, I think I think it's just like the fact that me- metabolic pathways and biochemical reactions it's something we're still studying it's actually something i don't think we can fully figure out until we get um like super computing computers like quantum computers because the 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 reactions are so complex like it's i think almost impossible for people to actually understand them that's crazy so. well that's cool that's cool man yeah that's that's everything i had on keto well, i'm glad it's uh it's interesting but I think we've definitely run the run the clock on and everything keto. People are going to be maybe a little bit sick of it. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. They chose to click on us, so. <laughs> yeah, they can they can leave at any time. Get out of here. Go make your own podcast. Dude, that's seriously what I want to say to anybody that critiques anything, like any creators or artists. It's like, go make your own damn painting. Go make your own damn YouTube video. Yeah. I don't understand. It's funny. So one of my favorite podcasts is called Swindled. Um, it's a guy. Yeah, it's a guy. He focuses on white collar crime because there's a ton of true crime podcasts about murders and whatnot. But this guy focuses on. Yeah. Embezzlement, stuff like that. And his favorite thing is on social media. He'll post people who uh, comment on his show like, oh, like, I don't like your voice or oh, like one star. I can't believe you haven't mentioned, um, you know, the flat earth or, you know, whatever garbage like that. And he's just like, he, he just does not have patience with them. He's a nice guy, but he just goes off on them. And I, I agree with that. I like, why would you ever, yeah, like critique a free, like this thing is free, right? Like it's free. Like you don't even think someone could have a show where 95% of it is, you know, like an advertisement. And like, that's their right because it's free. You don't get a say in what they do if you're not paying yeah. for it. So, yeah. it it's, it's pretty funny because I, I kind of noticed this trend. Like there, there's a lot of content creators that I follow. Some of it's political, some of it's gaming, some of it's music, you know, all sorts of different things. And um, there, there's some people that comment and say, I cannot look at the comments because as soon as I do, it is just detrimental to my drive and like makes me not want to do anything anymore. Even though they're like 95% plus positive reviews on like videos and stuff but mm-hmm. then i see some of these people that are like embracing just the toxicity of the internet and they're like pinning horrible awful comments <laughs> as the top comments and oh it, it's yeah. it's hilarious to see how people deal with just the toxicity that comes with putting content on the internet 
it, it's pretty entertaining that in itself so yeah i mean i feel and i feel like it's healthy i feel like it's healthy to understand that as a human being your brain likes to focus on negative aspects of life because those are the ones that are most concerning those are the ones that need a solution right bad things happen let me fix bad things um and i think it's healthy to be self-aware and be like you know what i don't I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna worry about it. It's actually pretty funny. Yeah, my voice does sound really nasally. Let me make that TikTok comment. Oh yeah, I hate my voice, and I, you know, I'm not really gonna care if anybody else hates it. They can go give me a new voice somewhere else. Like <laughs> they can you figure know, I, that out. I, by editing my previous the previous episodes, I realized how much I say the word like. And I really dislike the fact I say like a ton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate that. I, I'm always saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Like, I hate that. I hate that. But it, it just kind of flows with conversation. Like, it, it's like it's my it brain making sure I'm on track and listening and, like, speaking and stuff. Yeah. But, like, when you hear it in a recording, it's horrible. Um, something Something that happened... Um, so I attempted a gaming channel where a friend and I played some horror games like Dead Space. And um, oh, I remember that. If, if yeah. you go back and you listen to the early videos, oh, no. I, I think the first like five or six videos we did in one session and my buddy was editing. I, I edited um, the videos like I put the videos together, but he he knew FL Studio and audio and all that. So he was editing it and he goes, you slap your lips together a lot. And I was like, no, I don't. Every other freaking sentence. Like it, it was horrible. Oh, I did. I did notice that you do that. I thought that it's kind of endearing though. Wait, was I doing it during our last episode? Because I have tried to train yeah. my brain to never do that. I, I left them in. I left them in because they oh, gave you, you character. Dick. <laughs> I, 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 I've tried to like train my brain to not do that. Um, it's always when you're going to say something like, you know, and I know I, I, it's funny because that is a, a Hispanic thing. And I'm so really. Used to it. I don't know if I've ever noticed that. Uh, you'll hear it a lot if they like if they say something you believe. They'll be like, "Oh, like did you know that so and so died?" Like, nah. Ah, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, there there was something else I was gonna say along the lines of content creators and go make your own content, but oh, uh, it I I feel like with the internet and the ability to make your creation public and anybody can go watch it. There's this veil between the internet and reality where people are just able to express and say anything they want that 99% of the population would never say in person. And it's almost like an anonymity that's a little bit scary. Um, but like, I, 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 and I think some of the worst is like Twitter. I had to get rid of Twitter. Twitter's awful. I, can't stand twitter you know i never really got on twitter i never really uh liked it the ability to send somebody a direct message like like i i don't know i liked stephen king let's take stephen king as an example i i i like the stuff he mentions on twitter because oftentimes he mentions things that he enjoys like movies or tv shows to check out and not all of it's horror and then he also often recommends authors and other people to check out. And that's funny because maybe 40% of the books that I've read are Stephen King books. And I, I've read 
almost all of his work. So I, I've in the last few years have read a lot of books and done a lot of audiobooks. So it's interesting to see the people that I love be able to express things directly to people that aren't necessarily in a one-on-one interview, but like he can go on and interact with people. But then people can mm-hmm. say stuff like, Oh, you're such a shitty writer. This person's better than you. It's like, who the hell cares about your opinion? And why do you have the time of day to be sending this message? Like what, 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 what importance does that have to you? Does, does that make your life better? I, I don't know. It, it's pretty amazing. The anonymity and that people have time to be so negative. It's funny. Um, well, you watch him many a true nerd on YouTube. Um, it seems like there is just a collect number of people that I'm not saying he's the only one. That's just the example I think of. Cause we both watch him that just downvote his video. As soon as it comes out, it's almost like there's people that are so anti certain creators that they wait for the moment the video comes out to give it a thumbs down or the video has been out for a minute. The video is an hour long and it's already gotten like negative and positive reaction. It's just, it's interesting that it seems like either a lot of people are mistakenly hitting the wrong button or they're going out of their way to be negative about something that is generally very liked and accepted. I don't know. It's interesting. There's a bunch of stuff I could talk about, like product reviews and business reviews and stuff uh, that I, that I think are skewed with uh, thumbs up, thumbs down ratings and stuff. But maybe that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, I think it is. Um, Yeah, we can bring it up next time. But yeah, but I agree. It is kind of strange how there's a certain amount of pleasure or satisfaction that comes from disliking something. I don't know if I've ever disliked a video. It's pretty rare that I like give a thumbs up, but I I don't know. The only time I dislike a video is if I fundamentally disagree with that video being in existence. That, that's probably the only thing I would like if I if I think something is factually wrong. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I just either I just you can ignore it, right? Yeah, I I don't have to sit through it. Nobody's got a gun to my head, so well. <laughs> okay, what was that cringy? No, what? what, what <laughs> I don't know. Your reaction was kind of funny. Mm, okay. <laughs> Well, it seems like a, it seemed like a weird, extreme example. Like no one has a gun to mind. I'm like, oh, okay, we weren't talking about. I know people say that all the time. Maybe, maybe it is kind of a sinister thought, but it does seem like it does seem really like murdery. I don't. <laughs> well, it's freaking late, and my my brain is shutting down. Now I'm gonna start saying weird things. But all right, yes, thank you all for listening. All two of you out there um we we should be available in most uh podcasts i call podcatchers or what do you want to call them podcast recipient program things so where where can we be found spotify apple podcasts spotify apple podcasts but event- essentially almost everyone uses those ones uh, <laughs> right now we're because i'm we upload using anchor and so they're in charge of that. So every once in a while I get an email like, oh, you're on, you know, Pod Crusher. I'm like, oh, I never heard of that. Thank you for putting me on there. That's interesting. So I'll have a more, yeah, a more comprehensive list. Yeah. And maybe someday, maybe someday we'll get some social media plugs so people can send us shitty messages. But <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear your uh, horrible. Uh, yeah. Top, top comment. We will pin to the top of the podcast. Be fun to read hateful comments one day, but 
Oh, <laughs> uh, you think you enjoy that? Maybe. Gun to your head. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Yeah. Thank you for joining. For sure, everyone. Have a great day. Enjoy your enjoy the pandemic while it lasts. <laughs> Hopefully, not. You won't enjoy it for long. <laughs> Oh, that that sounded bad. That sounded bad. Like we're going to die from the pandemic. No, I take it back. I take it back. Let's just all survive. How about that? Well, well, let's all survive. Let's, yeah, let's make that a goal. Personal goal. Survive. Be good. Be cool. Be cool. That's it.